forgive me <clears throat> right off the bat this morning because my, uh, my throat is a little bit raspy. And uh, so if uh, I'll try to talk fast if you'll listen fast. How's that? And uh, <clears throat> there is a silver lining involved here because we may, uh, we, uh, we may very well be done a little bit earlier today. So uh, now don't be praying like that, okay? <laughs> Lord, help it to stop. Help it to stop. No, don't, don't go there. But uh, Proverbs chapter number 23 Proverbs chapter 23. How many of you, you feel pretty good this morning? You feel pretty good? All right, that's good. How many of you, no, no we won't even go there. Uh, <laughs> Proverbs chapter number 23. If you'll stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word, Proverbs chapter 23. And we're going to read just the one verse, Proverbs 23 and verse number 5. Proverbs 23, verse number 5. And I want us to read it out loud together, shall we? Proverbs 23 and verse number 5. Ready? Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. That's an interesting verse. He said, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? In other words, are you going to look at something that's not there? <laughs> Uh, how many of you, be honest, how many of you, you talk to yourself? Okay. How many of you have ever pulled up next to somebody in the intersection and you look over and they're just talking away and there's nobody else in the car? Yeah. And that's not highly unusual in this day of Bluetooth uh, technology where, you know, they're talking on the phone, but you don't know, you don't see the phone and all that. <clears throat> well, the Bible says, don't look at that which is not. In other words, be careful where you look. That's the title of the message this morning. Be careful where you look, and let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that you'd help us in these next few moments. Father, I pray that uh, my voice would not be a hindrance to the truth and it being conveyed properly to uh, these whom I love and these that Jesus died for this morning. I pray that you'd help us uh, bless our time together. Father, we do ask you to be with these that are sick and these that are hurting, uh, those that are struggling with their health. I pray that you bless uh, Brother Gonzalez and Mrs. Wolverton and so many others uh, as they uh, face uh, tests this week. And then, Father, for those who have surgeries upcoming and those who've lost loved ones. And, uh, Father, I pray that you just have your hand upon our church family. Uh, bless now the time and your word. May it be profitable, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Someone once said that Proverbs is a collection of, of one-sentence sermons. One-sentence sermon, a compilation of wisdom that Solomon and others had gleaned, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit. We know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so Proverbs, obviously, is no different. But I want to draw your attention to what we just read. He said, Wilt thou set thine eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings, they take, uh, or they fly away as an eagle toward heaven. Uh, somebody once said, money talks. He usually says goodbye. Uh, but uh, that's, <laughs> that's true. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, the, the direct uh, meaning of that verse, obviously, he's talking about riches and so forth and making sure that we're not focused on that. But I want to draw your attention to some, some, some different applications to that, that whole idea, if you will. He said, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? Or if I may paraphrase this morning, will you stare at something that won't last? Will you gaze upon that 
which is temporary? Will you fix your vision on that which will be here and gone in just a little bit? I've told this story before, but about uh, 12 years ago now, something like that, 11 and a half years ago or so, <clears throat> I, uh, I woke up on the morning before Thanksgiving with just the most severe pain that I've ever had in my lifetime. Let's see, I would have been in my uh, mid-30s at that time. And uh, it was just before the Thanksgiving holiday, and you uh, know that Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. I love Thanksgiving for two reasons, mainly, food and football. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> but no, there's other reasons why I like Thanksgiving as well. But uh, I woke up on that Wednesday morning before Thanksgiving, and just the most excruciating pain, and uh, it was enough to keep me awake for the entire evening, the entire night, and it got so bad that about two or three o'clock in the morning, I went back to our bedroom, and I woke up my wife, and I said, look, I, I'm hurting so bad, I think I need to go to the hospital. I'll be honest with you, I thought my appendix was about to rupture, and so I I thought, uh, I've, I've heard stories, in fact, I had a guy in my Sunday school class at the time who had just come through uh, an acute appendicitis, and his did rupture, and he was in the hospital for several weeks, and, and uh, it just about killed him, and uh, <clears throat> I thought that's what was happening to me, so I woke her up, and I said, can you take me down to uh, Duke Regional Hospital, and, uh, and so she got up, and she took me down there, and, and I was in excruciating pain. Well, come to find out, it was not at all appendicitis, it was uh, kidney stones. And that's the one and only time I've ever experienced the pain of kidney stones. And uh, they say that uh, for men to experience the pain of childbearing, the only time it's ever even going to come close is when you... Ha I'm serious now. They <laughs> they uh, <clears throat> Is John Fremling in here? Here, here we go. Okay, good. <clears throat> They say it's as close as men will ever come to experiencing the pain of childbearing. And uh, I learned that day, I want nothing to do with that, okay? <laughs> I was, my wife and I were visiting the Fremlings last Sunday afternoon after, uh, after the birth of, of their son. And uh, John was in there, and I thought he was going to get slapped. I really did. Because he said things like, I really worked hard last night. I worked very hard last night. But anyway... If she could have gotten out of that bed, she'd have whopped him across the head. But anyway, <clears throat> but uh, the doctor said, you don't have uh, appendicitis, you have, uh, you have kidney stones. You have two or three of them in there, as best we can tell by the x-rays and so forth. And I said, doc, I don't care what it is. I said, just get rid of the pain. I just, I, it, was, it was excruciating. And so he, uh, he gave me a drip <clears throat> through an IV, a pick line, of morphine. And... Uh, <clears throat> That's the first time that I can recall, the only time I've had morphine, I suppose. And they say it affects different people in different ways. And, and uh, I got to feeling pretty good <laughs> in just a little bit of time. And uh, so the doctor, <clears throat> he said, you know, look, there, there's not much you can do until these kidney stones pass. We think you'll be able to do that. So we're just going to send you home, and uh, we'll give you some pain meds prescriptions. And that was that. And so my wife, uh, she uh, put me in the van, and uh, she was driving us home. And it was about a 20, 25-minute drive from the hospital to our home. And, uh, and so she pulls up to a stoplight, or she was approaching an intersection, and I began to see things. The city we lived in was very, I mean, it was very densely populated. It wasn't like we were out in the middle of nowhere in the, in the boonies or anything, but, but uh, I saw 
I saw herds of German shepherds. I mean, I'm talking about dozens of them. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and they, were, they were running across Roxborough Road right in front of where, and I said to my wife, I mean, it was as real as that pulpit right there is real. <clears throat> and I opened my eyes, and I saw it, and I said, don't hit those dogs! <laughs> and she said, have you lost your mind? Literally, I think it scared her. She thought, he's got more issues than just kidney stones. <clears throat> I, you know, I know what I saw, or at least I thought I knew what I saw. But what was happening, and uh, we asked the doctor, and he confirmed this, but I was hallucinating. The, now, I didn't have any pain, praise the Lord, but, <clears throat> but, uh, but I was hallucinating from, from, the, uh, from the medication that was given to me. What was I seeing? That which was not. What I thought I saw and what I saw were two different things. A mirage is something that is perceived but not real. They say that folks who are uh, in, in the middle of a, a desert, a very dry wilderness, uh, sometimes they, uh, if, you're, if your body is without water, sometimes you can get to the point where you can have hallucinations and think you see something uh, and your mind's playing tricks on you and things like that. You see which, that which is not. You see, what we see and look upon has a lot to do with how we think. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. The Bible tells us that mine eye affecteth my heart. The disciples in the book of Acts, they said, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. <clears throat> what you see <coughs> affects how you act. What you see affects how you think. And it's very important that we see the right things. It's very, it's very important that we have the right, uh, not only uh, physical vision, but it's very important that we have the right spiritual vision as well. Mine eye affecteth mine heart. Uh, you know, by the way, ladies, that's why modest dress is so important, regardless of what time of year it is. Why? Because our eyes affect our heart. The scripture says, uh, says that we are not to set our eyes on that which is not. And the immediate context is, of course, speaking of money and material possessions. But this morning, I want us to take a broader look at this truth from the Bible about simply this. Be careful where you look. Be careful where you look. He said, Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? Let me give you several thoughts this morning as time allows. Number one, don't set your eyes on the temporary. Don't set your eyes. He said, don't set your eyes. Don't fix your vision. Don't stare. Don't gaze upon that which really is not. There's not much to it. It's temporary. First of all, don't set your eyes on on the temporary. He said riches certainly make themselves wings and fly away. It's here for a moment and then it's gone. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse number 18 the Bible says this, while we look not on the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal. We're so guilty, <clears throat> all of us are because we live in this physical world and uh, we don't know what's beyond the grave. We, well, we know what's beyond the grave according to the scriptures, but we've not seen it firsthand. We believe it by faith, but we've not, we've not tasted it. 
It's not tangible to us. It's not something that we can grasp with our senses. That's, that's why there's faith involved. But to understand, because we live in this temporary world, sometimes all of us are guilty of fixing our vision, fixing our gaze, fixing our stare upon things that are just here for a little while, then they're gone. They're gone. The Bible says if you can see it, it's temporary. If you can't see it, it's eternal. Boy, there's things in this life that we need to grab a hold of, though we cannot see. And the Bible says that uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The evidence of things not seen. Oh, I believe there's a heaven. Preacher, you ever been there? Nope. You ever talked to anybody who's been there and come back? Nope. Uh, have you ever uh, seen a, a virtual tour of it? <laughs> no, I have not. No, we accept it by faith. <clears throat> we believe it by faith. We can't see it. We can't touch it. We can't feel it. The Bible gives us a description of it in the book of the Revelation, but that, that's, that's as far as it goes. But I'm simply saying it's there. It's real. But it's eternal, and the things that are not seen are eternal. Uh, your, your salvation, it's, uh, it's not seen. It's eternal. It's eternal. Uh, in, uh, in James chapter 4, and verse number 14, the Bible says this, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Somehow we need to uh, reprogram ourselves about the brevity of life. Life's a vapor. It's here and it's gone. It's gone. Uh, Every now and then, it dawns, you know, I'm 49 years of age, and I'm thinking, where have the last 30 years gone? It's like, man, seems like just a few days ago, I was a teenager. Just a few days, I watch these boys uh, play basketball for a Christian school, and, uh, and you know how it is, fellas, we're, those of us who are middle-aged. <laughs> Your mind says, yeah, I can do that. Why are you laughing? Your, your mind says, <clears throat> yeah, I can still do what those boys do. <clears throat> I can jump like they jump. I can shoot like they shoot. I can, uh, I've got that stamina. I've got all, you know, <clears throat> Brother Dave, we, we're there, man. And uh, your mind says, yeah, and you get out there and you run up and down the court a couple times and your body says, what are you doing? Are you dumb? You know, <clears throat> but, the, but the Bible, and, and by the way, the Bible reminds us of the brevity of life. But our own humanity, our own mortality reminds us that life is short. It is like that vapor <coughs> that, <coughs> that comes and is here for a little while, and then it's gone. Well, we need to understand that we, we, we should not set our eyes on that which is temporary. Look, set your goals, set your sights for that which is eternal. Hey, in just a few days, we're going to be standing in the presence of Almighty God. In just a few days, we're going to see the nail, the, the nail prints in his hands. In just a few days, we're going to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Hey, let's not get so wrapped up in the temporary that we lose sight of the eternal. <clears throat> Two eternal things on the earth. Only two eternal things on this earth. First thing is the words of God. The words of God. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. There never has been a time when that book didn't exist, and there never will be a time when that book doesn't exist. It's eternal. It's eternal. The second thing that's eternal, according to the scripture, is your soul. 
the never-dying soul of men. The Bible says that the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. You have a soul, my friend, that will live forever somewhere. You better, you better learn how to live. Hey, I'm all for you learning to make a living. But he said there in our text verse, he said, Wilt thou set thine eyes on that which is not? I'm all for you preparing for the future. I'm all for you getting ready uh, and preparing for, uh, for your later years and retirement and so on and, and uh, life insurance. All that's good stuff. But I'm simply saying, let's not get so wrapped up that we just totally neglect eternity. The Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Your soul's eternal. It's never dying. You, uh, I, I was, uh, again, my wife and I were privileged to visit in the hospital last week when, and see, uh, be the, one of the, some of the first to see Landon as he uh, entered into this world on that uh, Sunday afternoon. And you know what? He has a soul that's never going to die. Never. And you have a soul that's never going to die. You're going to live forever. Somebody said, <clears throat> one of the great uh, truths that has captivated my thinking is the fact that, you know what? I'm going to live forever somewhere, so I guess I need to learn how to live. We get so busy making a living that we forget that we better learn how to live along the way. Learn how to live. See, <clears throat> don't set your eyes on that which is temporary. Everything uh, besides the word of God and the souls of men are temporary. I'm not saying they're not important. Of course they're important. Jesus teaches us in the, on the Sermon on the Mount uh, how to view these things. Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 6 with me, if you will. Matthew chapter number 6. Familiar territory here, <clears throat> but I think a point that needs to be reiterated this morning Matthew chapter number 6, Jesus, of course, is teaching, uh, continuing what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It began in Matthew chapter 5 and continues into Matthew chapter 6 and following. But he said in verse number 25, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, <clears throat> take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, <clears throat> neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Therefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Notice what he says. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Temporal things. But... Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the mar, for the mar shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Notice the way to deal <clears throat> with your temporal but important issues is to make God's kingdom a priority. Make God's kingdom a priority. Look, 
God knows we have temporary needs, but we're not to get so fixated in our view and our vision on the temporary that we neglect God's kingdom. God's kingdom. Now, either, either God's telling the truth or he's a liar. We know he's telling the truth. He said, seek ye first the kingdom. Oh, preacher, you know, I tithe and everything, but I, I don't know that I can make ends meet after that. You think, you think God is inadequate to take care of you? Look, I'm simply saying, I'm supposed to put God's kingdom, God's commands, God's priority before my priorities. And he said, and all these things shall be added unto you. You know what? God can be trusted. God can be put to the test. God can be, uh, look, we can take him at his word. He said, seek my kingdom. Seek first. Let me have first place in your life. He said, I'll take care of you. I'll take care of you. David said, I was young and now I'm old and I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. What a great promise. What a great promise. <clears throat> I see number two, as we hasten this morning, not only should we not set our eyes on the temporal, but don't set your eyes on the tainted. Don't set your eyes on the tainted, the defiled. You see, the devil <clears throat> is after your thoughts. The great battle in the Christian life is the battle of the mind. There's a battle going on to, to control your thinking. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So is he. Now, I'm not questioning your salvation whatsoever this morning. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's a wonderful thing. And Satan can't get to your soul. But what he wants to do is to taint your thinking. He wants to get to your thought life. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. many years ago said behind every tragedy in human character there's first a process of wicked thinking. Wicked thinking. Understand, don't set your eyes on the tainted. There's two ways your, your, your thinking gets messed up. What you see and what you listen to. The eye gates and the ear gates. That's how, that's where the battle lines are drawn. Hey, that's why we need to guard what we see. That's why we need to guard what we listen to. The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hey, you can, you can cultivate a walk with God. Or you can cultivate a relationship with God by hearing the word of God, by hearing preaching, by hearing Sunday school teaching, by hearing the right things, or you can contaminate what your thought life is by listening to the wrong garbage. He said, don't set your eyes on the tainted. Regardless of your age, Satan's out to destroy you. He looked, uh, or, or Christ looked at the eyes of, of Simon Peter and said, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. He said, he's coming after you, Peter. He's coming after you. He knows that the way to your heart is by what you see and what you hear. And by the way, consider what happened in the Garden of Eden. Consider what happened that first Sin Way back 6,000 plus years ago, the serpent said to the woman, ye shall not surely die. You're not going to die. He said, for God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. You see, what Mother Eve thought she saw was fruit that was going to make her as wise as God himself. Are you listening this morning? 
What Eve thought she saw, she set her eyes on that fruit. And the Bible says that when she saw that it was good, that that, that fruit was good for food and to be desired to make one wise, she took it, she ate it, and then she gave to Adam to partake of it with her and plunge a whole human race into sin when Adam ate of it. Hey, the devil never shows you the tainted fruit. Listen to me this morning. The devil never shows you the tainted fruit. He makes sin look really good. He makes it look really appealing. He makes it look very desirable. But what he doesn't show you is what comes afterwards. He shows you delight, but gives you depravity. That's what happened in the garden. Oh, Eve, look at this. Look, God doesn't want you to eat of that fruit because he knows. Look, he's... He doesn't want to have control over you, Eve. That's why, look, she bought into it. She fell for it. Hook, line, and sinker. He promised her, hey, you want to be your own God? Eat of this fruit. He promised her delight, but what he gave her was depravity. He promises treasure, but he delivers tragedy. He offers pleasure, but he only gives pain. He offers you a good time, but doesn't show you the destruction He shows you the glamour of alcohol or drugs or immorality or acceptance and through some of those things. And he said, hey, you want to be really accepted? Let me give you this. Let me show you this. But he never, look, he's a liar. He's a liar. Always has been, always will be. Mark her down. Don't set your eyes on the tainted. Stay faithful to the Lord and to his church. Spend time in his word. Guard your heart by guarding what you see and what you listen to. Don't make provision for the flesh. Hey, you give, uh, somebody said you give the devil an inch and he'll be your ruler. And that's true. You give him an inch and he'll be your ruler. Hey, you give him just a little bit of room in your life. Hey, he said, look, the Bible says don't make provision for the flesh. Don't make provision for Satan to get a foothold in your life through your eyes and through your ears, what you see and what you listen to. Hey, don't set your eyes on the tainted number three don't set your eyes on the tangible don't set your eyes on the tangible first john chapter number two love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him colossians chapter three verse number two tells us this set your affection on things above not on things on the earth you know we live in a a things driven society a things-driven society. There's, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with, with things as long as they're not the object of our affection. That's what he said in Colossians 3, 3 2. He says, set your affection. You know, if I'm able to set my affection, what that means is I have the ability to determine where my affections go. Are you with me? He said, set your affections. So I can set my affections on material things. I can set my affections on, uh, on temporary things. I can set my affections <clears throat> on things that won't last. I can set my affection on the Lord. Hey, I can set my affections on my family. I can set my affection, Brother Dave, on, uh, on, uh, on that which is good and just and holy and right. Hey, I determine where my affections are set. Well, you know, and by the way, people say, well, you know, preacher, I just can't help myself. Oh, yes, you can. That's what we call down south a cop-out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can help it. 
set your affections. Hey, look, Christian, you've got the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And you try to tell me that you're helpless against the onslaught of Satan when God himself in the form of his spirit lives in you? I don't think so. Not only is his spirit living within us, but we have his word to guide us. Hey, God has given you all the tools that you need, my friend, to overcome and to live a victorious Christian life. But where are you going to set your affection? He said, don't look at the tainted, don't look at the temporal, but don't look at the tangible. I think about Lot in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 13, I believe it is. The Bible says that Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen got into a fight. I don't know if it was a throwdown, knockdown, drag out, I'm not sure, but they had a disagreement. And the Bible says that <clears throat> Lot's herdsmen and Abraham's herdsmen, they couldn't get along. You know what Lot should have done? He should have stepped in and said, look, boys, whatever it takes for us to hang out with Uncle Abraham is what we're going to do. You boys are going to have to figure this out. But no, the Bible says that Abraham and Lot came to a meeting of the minds, and Abraham said, look, Lot, we're, we're, we're brothers. We're family. We ought not be acting like this. We're better than this. We ought to get along. If we can't get along, we need to part ways. And uh, Lot said, okay. Abraham said, I'll tell you what, Lot, you choose whatever area you want to settle, and uh, you've got herds and cattle, and you've got employees of your own, and you just decide where you want to live, and I'll go the opposite way. And the Bible says that Lot lifted up his eyes, and he beheld all the well-watered plain in front of him. He saw the well-watered plains of Jordan. He saw Sodom and Gomorrah in the distance. He saw all of the, the, uh, the affluence, and he saw the riches, and he saw all of the, the, uh, the gizmos and gadgets and all of the wonderful things that that civilization had to offer, and he was allured by it. And we all know what happened with Lot. We understand the demise of Lot. You say, Pastor, where did it start? I'll tell you where it started. He fixed his eyes. He fixed his vision on the tangible. He was motivated to do what he did and to go where he went based on the almighty dollar, if you will, and what it could buy. And you read the end of the story, you flip over a few chapters, you read Genesis chapter 18 and Genesis chapter 19, and look at what it cost Lot. Look at what it cost him. It cost him his wife, and it cost him his daughters, it cost him his family. Hey, some of his family members were consumed in Sodom, and the two daughters that came out with him, hey, had, uh, had children by their own father, and two illegitimate nations were born. Why? Where did it start? I'll tell you where it started. It started because Lot set his eyes on the tangible. He made decisions not based on right versus wrong. He made decisions based on, is this going to be economically expedient for me? Look, again, I'm not here to preach against money or the things that money can buy. The problem is not you having things. The problem is when things own us. When things own us. May I say, Father, there's nothing, there's nothing but nothing worth your family. Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing any more valuable than the relationship between a man and his wife. Nothing. Nothing more valuable than, hey, for, for you to make sure that, uh, that those who call you daddy have a spiritual leader in their home. And, and, and the fact that you need to make sure, daddy, that your, your children are saved and that your, your, your spouse is saved and, and, and have the, the kind of family that will bring glory to God. Hey, you can't replace that with money. Money can't buy that. You can't, you can't go to Amazon and order that online and have it delivered next, next Friday. It doesn't work that way. 
Don't set your eyes. Make sure we have the right priorities in our home. Number four, the last thing, and I hasten. Don't set your eyes on the trials of life. Don't set your eyes on the tangible. Don't set your eyes on the temporary or the tainted. And then finally, don't set your eyes on the trials of life. I want to switch gears for just a minute as we conclude the message this morning. <clears throat> the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Did you hear that? God said, our light affliction, and don't miss this phrase, which is but for a moment. Remember, we said that this life, it's here for a moment, and then it vanishes. James chapter 4 tells us that. But God goes on to tell us that our light affliction is just for a moment. You say, preacher, I'm really going through it right now. Hang in there. It won't last long. It won't last long. But preacher, I've been in it for weeks or months or even years. Hey, in the grand scheme of eternity, it's just a little while. You just keep on going. Hey, you keep on serving and you keep on loving the Lord and you keep on praying and you keep on reading your Bible and you keep on loving your family and you keep on serving the Lord and you keep on being faithful and you just do what you know is right to do. He said, our light affliction, which is just for a moment. Notice what he said, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You may be going through it right now, but don't set your eyes on your trials because they'll be, they'll be done in a while. At least five families in our church in the last, just the last couple of weeks have lost loved ones. If you go back several, if you go back a couple of months, you can multiply that number by a couple of times. You say, preacher, it's hard, it's difficult, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's discouraging and, and uh, things I didn't think I'd have to go through. Now here it is, it's on top of me. What do I do? You keep on going. You keep on going. Don't set your eyes on the trials of life. The good news is trials will pass. Don't become so fixated on your burden, on your heartache, on your grief, that you fail to see the God who can help you through those trials. I'm not, <clears throat> I've been in the ministry about 25 years or so now. And though I'm not an old man, <clears throat> I appreciate you just not saying amen right there. I'm not an old guy yet. <clears throat> I intend to get a lot older. God is my helper. But I have seen a few things in 25 years of ministry, and that is this. When trials come, usually there's one of two reactions. People get better or people get bitter. People get closer to God, Brother Dave, or they blame God. People take the bitter pill that life serves them <clears throat> and they say, this is not fair. This is not right. It shouldn't happen this way. Why do bad things happen to good people? All, you've heard the litany of questions about things like that when things happen to people. Or they can say, you know what? I don't understand why this is happening. But there's a God in heaven who has a purpose for it. And you know, I don't have to understand the purpose or the reasons but I do have to understand that he understands. That's how, look, that's how people can go through incredible trials 
and still smile at the storm. That's how people can, can, can yes, shed tears of, of, uh, of mourning and grief over the loss of a loved one, but they don't shake a fist at God and say, God, why did you do this to me? No, they, like Job, say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Look, I'm simply saying this. Be careful what you stare at. Be careful where you set your eyes. Be careful what you fix your gaze upon. Don't set your eyes at the temporary. Don't be deceived by the tainted tricks of Satan. Hey, don't be lured by the tangible things of the world to the point where your heart becomes lukewarm toward God. I'll end with this. The church at the, in Revelation chapter 3, the church at Laodicea. God said, I've got somewhat against you. He said, you're, you're not hot, you're not cold. He said, you're lukewarm. He said, you're increased with goods, and you said in your heart, I have need of nothing. And he said, your desire for the temporary has caused you to become lukewarm in your love for me, is what God said. That's what he had against the church at Laodicea. You know, let's make sure that our eyes are fixed in the right place. Because when, we, when our eyes are diverted away from God and his will and his works in our life, we get off track. We get bitter. We get enamored with things. We get, we, get out, we get out of focus. We forget about the eternity. We forget about heaven. We forget about hell. You understand something. Everybody who dies is going to spend eternity in a heaven or hell. I was talking to a young lady yesterday. I don't think she's here right now. I was talking to a young lady yesterday, and she said, I need to get my life back on track. She said, <clears throat> I'd enrolled in med school. It didn't work out. And she said, something happened in my life, and I got angry, and it's led me to nowhere. In just a few minutes, that young lady trusted Christ as her, as her Savior. And she said, you know what? She said, she said a powerful statement. She said, I guess... It didn't dawn on me that this is not all there is to life. That's a lot of wisdom. I guess it did not dawn on me that this is not all there is to life. You know what? This is temporary. Wilt thou set thine eyes on that which is not? Hey, there's a judgment day coming. There's an eternity coming. Hey, there's heaven or hell coming. By the way, which is it for you this morning? Is there one here this morning who say, Preacher, okay, there is an eternity coming. Okay, there is a life after death. But preacher, I'm not at all sure about what's going to happen to me after this life is over. Well, you can be sure of it. You can be sure of it. I'd like you to bow your head and close your eyes. Every head bowed. Every eyes closed. <clears throat> In just a few moments, we're going to...